What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, where we help you and your ministries navigate the biggest youth ministry shift in American history. Yes, yeah, that's actually something I was talking with a group of friends about a couple days ago as we were just talking about how many times uh, Christians have missed opportunities to really sit with people in grief yeah. or experiencing hard things um, because they are afraid to go there themselves. And I just sure. think about how many times Jesus like paused in scripture in the gospels uh, to weep to mm-hmm. weep over his friend, over mm-hmm. Jerusalem, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. over in the garden before he was crucified. Like he took time to like fully feel things um, both in his own story and like in the story of just humanity mm-hmm. and the depth of like despair. And that's something that like, that's just a human need is that like we need our pain to be witnessed and we need others to like, come down into it and sit with us and not just try to like silver line and say like, Oh, well at least blah, blah, blah. You've got this going on. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's not like comforting, like real true healing comes in just like not being alone in your pain. And so like to have Christians who can show up, um, and fully wear their feelings, Mm -hmm. uh, with another, like that is so healing. And that's Mm -hmm. like, a deep prayer of mine is that we can become more aware of um, how to really sit with people in like hard parts of life. Cause that's Jesus. Yeah. That's how he, I do think like there. So the pendulum is always there where you swing really far one way to, mm. I don't know, Gen X and boomers were like deny it all, you know? And yeah. like, um, I actually heard these two comedians talking about the differences between it in a white community and a black community <laughs> and like how they deal with like, I'm depressed. And he said, he goes, black people just don't, they, they tend to just say, uh, I'm a little messed up. Mm-hmm. They don't ever say, and then he's like, white people will just say like, I'm depressed. I have anxiety, depression. And like, it was just, it was a hilarious conversation. <laughs> um, but it made me think about how, generationally we just we change kind of how we either whether or not we do talk about you know those things because obviously mm. that the suicide rates the things within gen z is like a, a real problem yeah and <clears throat> you know i think you can potentially uh swing the pendulum too far the other way where it's like everything is that yes and you don't learn how to actually cope right and because jesus doesn't just ever sit there the whole time Mm. he does learn to cope and continue moving forward and there is like a balance there's just a balance in all those things like Mm -hmm. right and so i'm just saying i do think as leaders and youth pastors like we do have we steward this kind of um help in terms of going when you shepherd them Mm. you have to sit with them but then also when it's time to say hey like it is also time to keep moving forward. Mm. Like, and there are a lot of sad things and you should always continue to uh, recognize, address and sit with those sad things while also saying that doesn't cripple my life. Yes. You know, cause there is yes. a lot of like life crippling. Like mm. I, many students I've heard talk through their friends that are just like, yeah, they're just, they don't ever come to school anymore. And you're like, what do you mean? They're I don't, so I don't, stuck. that never happened yeah. in my time. Mm. 
I mean, maybe, and mm. I just wasn't aware of it, but it was very small. Like now it's like all out there. Everybody yeah. knows this person's depressed and they don't come to school for the past two months. Yeah. Like that's, that's more normal. And that saddens me yes. that that is a reality yeah. for kids that are struggling at that level. And it's a deep, deep, desperate cry for help. Mm -hmm. And just like, honestly, a deep cry for the gospel to go, yeah, the root, the things that you are rooted in are not going to provide you with mm. that kind of sense of, oh, wow, you have yeah. clarity, you have a purpose, you have a direction, you have an identity rooted in something beyond yourself mm -hmm. or your personal preferences and desires. Right. Like it's, it's actually about real things throughout history that w were made to uh, give you purpose and direction. Yes. That's literally what God is in the business of doing down to like every biblical story um and most of all in the cross like jesus died and like went down into the depths and then he was raised to life yeah. and so like the beauty for the christ follower is that yes like we need to go down into the depths of our hearts and our pain and our stories um but that's also not the end like there's always going to be resurrection yep in that yeah. because as humans made in the image of God, we're always going to model uh, what God's plan for us is, yeah. um, which is to be raised to life from death. Well, it's rooted in hope. Like in the other things, it's like, it's hopeless. So you are left to just the, you do become a, just a mean person saying, well, stop being depressed. Mm. Just get your bootstraps, you know, like, Mm. suck it up and figure it out mm. which is what older generations are saying right is what is wrong with this generation mm -hmm. like why are they always just depressed because they're on their phones too much you know and it's like <laughs> or maybe the answer is they they're they the the gig is up mm. the thing that you tried to sell them all their lives and the thing that yes. you so desperately worked so hard for for this nine to five and never around for your kids mm. was actually not life-giving Yes. Whoa. Maybe consider that. I'm mm -hmm. not saying there's nothing with a cell phone that actually influences, but I am saying it's still a denial that their hope rests in things that are hopeless. Mm -hmm. And they have to actually have hope in something that provides resurrection in life. Yes. And we have that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have that very thing. Yeah. And for students and next generation and leaders and youth pastors, that's the power of it. Yeah. You have the thing that brings the power that gives them the hope. Yes. And students, the more that they are receiving that, the ones that are in our youth groups, the more that they know that, the more that it's in them that they can turn to. That's why it's like Jaden's story. Mm. She turns to hope in the midst of pain and brokenness. Yes. And she had a family that, that was rooted in that. And so she mm. didn't have to sit in this. She had a lot of things already Yes. As a young teenager, that are a lot of roadblocks and difficult things. And she has chosen to say, I'm rooted in things that are that bring life and hope. And they don't just sit in that pain. Mm -hmm. And they're also not ignorant to the pain. Yeah. They actually recognize the pain. And it is in the pain that, like, there is so much power. Right. That's the lament. The lament brings the honesty. That's, that's making me think of this quote. Brings... Oh, yeah. Keep going. I was thinking of a quote earlier, too, but... I couldn't remember it. But anyways, in the uh, lament comes the honesty. And then from the honesty actually grows uh, 
life and act like actual growth and change Um, because that's when you say okay jesus what's been happening is wrong and i can't do it anymore yeah show me the new way yeah Um, it'll take me a second to find it but it's it's a tim keller quote and it's heyo unbelievable yeah but i think like who are we to deny students this or students non-believers like the nectar of life yeah that we have in such a desert yeah yeah um while i'm looking for that what was your next my next point yep um i mean yeah i think there in general in the next generation is a lot of dissatisfaction with status quo and i think that's what you're talking about at the beginning is like every single next generation is going to be discontent with the way that things are totally have always been yeah um i think it's particularly unique in gen z specifically with like uh because of covid and because of the rise of like technology like this is one of the first generations that was like raised in technology and so there's beauty in that like we have a lot of like um technological iq like we can pick things up technologically pretty quickly um and also there is like a sense of more uh disconnect Mm. and so there's that dynamic there where it's like we do know a lot about uh how to connect online but then when it comes to Mm. actually engaging in person it becomes more of an anxiety inducing thing yep um which is why i think having smaller groups um is so helpful yeah because it's no longer like uh such a like social commitment you're just hanging out with like people that you know and trust already yeah um and then like when the larger group gatherings do happen you have people to like kind of lean with into that yeah because yeah and part of it's like Hey, if, and something we've, I've, I've said, uh, before my dad said Mm. was like, we in the American church have made, uh, the cake a Sunday service. So the large gathering has been a cake and the icing is if you Mm. go to a small group. Right. Mm -hmm. And the truth is like, Jesus couldn't have been more opposite of that. Mm. Not saying he ever ignored the large gatherings, but like there's a, only a few instances we know of with him in large gatherings. Certainly they probably would have gone to the, you know, um, to the, oh my gosh, temple. Yes. Um, but, but he spent the majority, the percentage of his time Mm. in those smaller groups in the smaller circles. So like, I think we just have lost focus in terms of, cause it's the thing that's like, as if we can get people to that, then it looks like we're really making headway. And then you go, well, behind that is like all this pain, brokenness, sickness, uh, and people just wanting to sit and consume something that mm. isn't really, you know, changing their lives on a daily basis. The only way you get that is through like transformative community mm. and people committing to one another. It, mm. it cannot be just through that medium, right? Right. It, that can be an addition. It's a nice icing on the cake, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. but it cannot, if it is the cake, it just, it's not Yeah. enough. It's not. <laughs> like the majority yeah. of life is lived outside of the four church walls and so we have to as christ followers also model that in being fully saturated by the gospel by christ 
all of the time in our daily lives outside of the walls of the church. And the benefit of that is like, we do need mutual encouragement um, and like brothers and sisters to who yeah. like relate, like they're yeah. doing something hard. And so like those gatherings are special and needed. Um, but we have to model like what life looks like and most of our week is spent outside. And so like, how do we engage with those people? Yeah. What's yeah, your quote? Did you find it? I did. I want to end our episode with it. But before that, I want to go into uh, um, how, like, actually something I've noticed within, I don't, I don't even know. I, again, I don't want to ever claim it's just this generation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, like, an element of they like to be in smaller group worship circles. Mm-hmm. So they like to do, like, house worship, which, again, I don't think that's just this generation. But definitely, like, House Fires, that album kind mm-hmm. of released a lot of that in yeah. a way, which is cool. Um, who is that? What's his name? House Fires? Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know. Not in a hurry. Will Reagan. Will Reagan. Yeah. I love yeah. his music. Yeah, he, he yeah. definitely tapped into some of that, you know? And I even remember when I was at KU, um, I went to this worship. College students tend to do more of this, mm-hmm. uh, but like in a house, somebody was leading worship, and it was the most authentic prophetic mm-hmm. open um spirit led like full atmosphere mm-hmm. of people like going for it in worship mm-hmm. and that that seems to have continued on a lot mm-hmm. in gen z where there's like a lot of different little circles of yeah. of that going on I, I think that's beautiful like mm-hmm. that that's really a powerful thing and i think as leaders and youth pastors we should be encouraging those kind of environments where it's like helping them see that life beyond the stage even as a worship leader is super super helpful like Mm. you have to connect the dots in your living room and then in your own bedroom when nobody else is around so it's got to on that side of it as well like not just the missional but like the worship side Mm -hmm. that and community i mean all three you have to kind of have all those layers of kind of interaction to be a holistic version of a follower of jesus where Mm. it's like if you can have that like really intimate, somewhat intimate, and then kind of the crowd within each one of those spaces, worship, community, and mission, mm-hmm. that's a really healthy way of knowing, following Jesus, and being the church. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, that's that's a lot of what we want to, you know, mm. be after in terms of like how we lead students into living a life for Jesus. Mm. And as adults, like I'd say the same thing, like as a youth pastor, like making sure that you have that. Yeah. Because if you don't have that as the youth pastor, like how in the world can you reflect that back to the next generation that's looking to you for yeah. that kind of thing? And if you're only mm. ever in the big spaces and you're not also in those intimate circles and then mm. even more like you have a band of brothers or sisters that are like that two to three mm-hmm. that know the details of your life, then we just need to check ourselves. Like yes. we really, really need to check ourselves as, mm. as the leader and youth pastor because it's super important that we exemplify the things that we are trying to ask our students to live into. Mm. And there's just too much. And Gen Z sees through that, right? So it's like they know whether or not you've got that. Yep. And they, they'll call it out too. Yep. Like, and they will scour the internet for the things that you're not doing correctly, you know? Yes. So yeah. I don't know if you had any other thoughts on that, but I can land us with the quote. Let's do it. Okay. I, uh, so I, I found this quote after I'll be transparent here. Uh, after my first marriage failed 
and mm. ended in divorce. And I was, I mean, I was gutted. I was absolutely just shattered mm. and just was like, this was not in the plans. Like I did not want this. I did not pursue this. I was completely abandoned. Like mm. there was, um, so many things that were just not my choice. And I was in a uh, state that was a no fault state where the courts just push it through. They don't care whose fault it is. You mm. don't have to do any counseling. I never even went to court. I never even signed a divorce document. Yeah. That's yeah, how every crazy. Every time you say that, I'm just like, like that's, but that's what that our real? country has gotten to. Like yeah. half the States in America are no fault. Ugh. So like, I think Missouri is and Kansas is not which is mm. crazy. You could just always... be, if you get married over the board, if you get married downtown and you get your Missouri marriage license, you're not, you're in a no fault state. Anyways. So I came out of that with a lot of wounds and just a lot of pain. Of and for course. the next number of years, I went through counseling stuff. I was trying to figure out who I was, what life was to me and like what my priorities were. Do I, am I still following God? Like I was hurting. I was yeah. really hurting and looking for life in all the wrong places mm. and um yeah a lot of bad dumb choices and decisions and honestly it all got to a point where um I was on a date and the ex showed up with a gun and uh pointed at my face and an assault rifle and just basically was like if you don't get out of here and I was like dude I've, this is the first time I even met her. Like I am gone and did, you don't know this part of this. I didn't know there was a yeah, gun involved. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm like shook. <laughs> yeah. I'm like near the end of the, just the pain, not the mm. end of the pain, but like the, the, that part of my story. And I just, it was like rock, rock bottom where I was like, this is clearly not working mm. and I'm hurting. And I came out of that, landed on my feet at Colonial mm. <laughs> Presbyterian. This church let me live in their youth house. And to their credit, gave me a lot of grace in that season of my life. And mm. I was open about my pain and, and where I was hurting. Mm. And um, yeah, they, I ended up kind of leading, helping volunteer with the students. And then um, I was kind of doing this small microchurch of others and... Mm. It was like at one point where there was like 30, 40 people in the room, young adults. Mm. And, um, but it was all dependent on me. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And right. so, but in that season, I was just trying to lead out of like a lot of transparency. Cause I was just like, I got nothing to hide. I've been in this church thing for a long time mm. and I'm done hiding. I've watched too many leaders hide. I've been uh, a victim of leaders abusive and hiding things and then like claiming that it's me, like just mm. messy things, you know, where I was just tired of it and had walked through a lot of it with my family. And so I was just done. So I like had been wearing that weight on my shoulders for a long time where mm. I'm I'm just like, but that's just, that's a lot of who I am too. Right. Where I'm just like, I'm not about the mess. Like right. I am about being transparent and honest and getting into the dirt and dealing with real stuff and yeah, not, not acting like everything's fine and good. You yeah. Know? So preface it. That's the quote. <laughs> I come across this quote in this season and I was just like, wow, I'd never like, basically we went through the book of Job as this micro church mm -hmm. together with these young adults. And I was, just, I had only been in the book of Job for the past uh, three years after my divorce. I'd never read anything else. It was the only thing. It was just like, I don't get it. Why does this exist in the Bible? What the mm -hmm. heck is this real? Is this fake? Is this whatever? I was just spinning. And <laughs> yeah. And uh, you were so, really sitting in it. 
Yeah. And, and just like the, the truth of like, I felt all the things Job had felt and some, obviously my entire life wasn't taken away, but mm. I, I felt a pain that was very hurtful. And, mm. um, just even like how his friends were horrible at lamenting and sitting with him and like giving him platitudes. It was like, Oh my gosh, the people are doing that to me today. <laughs> like That's insane that I'm personally experiencing that. It's the secondary harm to yes. the initial offense. And I'm like, okay, so I, you know, I, I learned a lot in that season and this Tim, I wasn't even reading the book, but I was, I think, I think it was just like literally looking up things about suffering on, mm. on Google and on Bing.com. Um, <laughs> I'm a big Bing.com fan. Why uh, Bing? Bing, could you please sponsor me? I'd really appreciate a sponsorship. <laughs> me and my my best friend Storm have always been only Bing people. Mm. Uh, anyways, okay, so Tim Keller quote is, uh, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how, how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and successful with our career, Something will inevitably ruin it. Christianity teaches that contra fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra secularism, suffering is meaningful. Hmm. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. Hmm. Some suffering is given in order to chastise and correct a person for wrongful patterns of life, as in the case of Jonah, imperiled by the storm. Some suffering is given not to correct past wrongs, but to prevent future ones, as in the case of Joseph, sold into slavery. And some suffering has no purpose other than to lead a person to love God more ardently for himself alone and so discover the ultimate peace and freedom. Suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. Mm, I can't tell you how many times that I've sat in that reality. It's insane, dude. That's insane. That quote is insane. Tim Keller was, <laughs> I mean, that. Unbelievable. That spoke to me on the deepest levels of my life at that moment. And I just mm -hmm. remember reading it and just like weeping like, oh my gosh, this explains so much that nobody has told me. Mm. No one has told me this. No one. <laughs> I just remember reading it like, why is nobody telling me this? Yeah. Why is nobody sharing that that hope? Mm. Why are we not sharing that hope with the next generation? Yeah. Why is it not that level of seriousness that like God designed us to need him? And pain creates that need in a way that nothing else can. Mm. Mm. And that sounds twisted and weird. I get it. But God uses it in ways that draw us so close to him that it creates real beauty if we decide to face it correctly. Mm, yeah. Yeah. They say like uh, in psychology circles right now that there is an emerging sixth stage of grief, which is making meaning. Wow. Making meaning of your suffering. Come on. That, that I just think as leaders, youth pastors, the more that we can speak that language to the next generation, the more that they're going to see us as trustworthy, honest, transparent people who want the best for them. Yeah. And when you exemplify that to your students that come to your youth group that are believers and you, you, you empower them to be disciple makers and they live with that same marking, mm. 
imagine all of the other kids' lives that they'll sit in that pain and suffering with and give them purpose behind it. That it's yeah. not just this depressing world. Mm-hmm. We have a hope. Yes. I want to share that hope with you. Mm-hmm. Like I want you to know and feel that same hope that I experience. Yeah. And so when the, when students like Jaden can express that to other people mm-hmm. that don't know Jesus and can and show them, I want you to know about the things that I went through and how pain and suffering has created the greatest relationship I've ever had in my life with my Lord and Savior. Yes. That's what can speak volumes. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. Hope is real and it's not uh, surface level. Yeah. And we who have experienced hope have also experienced darkness. And so like when we can share that with others, it's coming from a place of like, I have been there and I do relate. And coming through the other side of that, like there is more. And like, that's trustworthy because you've been there too. Yeah. Amen. Amen.